Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, this is our second to last message in the series of Trellis, where we're talking about the formation of our spirit and looking at different habits and rhythms and disciplines to incorporate into our life to help us be continuing to be formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. And this week, uh, because we fall on uh, Thanksgiving week, we want to talk about gratitude. We want to talk about Thanksgiving not as just a normal reaction, but as an intentional discipline for our life. Um, excited to share that with you, but just a brief update with you guys. If you turned tuned in a couple of weeks ago, um, I shared an honest um, message with you guys about some things going on in my life in terms of anxiety and some things that I faced, and just wanted to just say a couple things. Number one is that the response, the love, the prayer that I have felt and received has been absolutely staggering and just incredibly impactful in my life. Thank you. I've, I have felt so loved by our church um, these last few weeks. And so, um, and even for those of you reaching out, uh, sharing your story, um, just know that this is such a great place for you to live honestly and openly. Uh, because of the same love and support that's available for everyone here. So thank you for that. Um, uh, I have deeply sensed um, the Lord working in my life. Um, I'm grateful just to report that there has uh, been just a physical and spiritual shift in me um, that has let me just feel really encouraged. Um, Also, if you missed last week, Caitlin Barnes had a phenomenal message on silence and solitude. If you've missed it, please go back and listen. It was incredible. But for this week, as we approach Thanksgiving, um, we want to spend some time talking about gratitude. And I don't know about you, but I love Thanksgiving. I think the older that I'm getting, the more it's becoming one of my favorite holidays. Uh, because of what it does in terms of focusing our attention on what we can be thankful for, the gratitude that should be cultivated in our heart. Um, and for me, the, the day is just ritualistically beautiful. Wake up, do the turkey trot here in Encinitas, run the 10K. This year, my two oldest daughters are running it with me. Go back home, there's fresh baked monkey bread. We're watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It is this incredibly beautiful moment. And then right when you feel like you're just stuffed in the morning, drive over to be with family, football's on, football's being played, and then we feast, right? Which we talked about as one of our spiritual disciplines. There's so much about that day that feels so beautiful. But it's important for us to realize that a day a year is important. But there's something incredibly profound about gratitude and thanksgiving being a normal rhythm and part of our life. I was reading an article this week from William Smith, who's a psychologist, and he talked about how research has shown that practicing gratitude can reduce feelings of stress and anxiety. Studies have found that a single act of thoughtful gratitude produces an immediate 10% increase in happiness and a 35% reduction in depressive symptoms. Uh, Interestingly enough, though, he said these effects disappeared within three to six months, which remind us to practice gratitude over 
and over. This has to be a perpetual lifestyle, not a yearly holiday. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that in ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. And for someone who's pastoring in the middle of Nazi Germany, for him to have been quoted that we must realize we receive a great deal more than what we give. And that is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. There's so much for us here. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, I've found myself not only reflecting and being drawn to the passages of scripture that command us to be thankful, but I have found myself pondering the moments in scripture where Jesus gives thanks, which is kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting paradox because in Colossians 1.16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so in the Gospels, there are seven, seven, different, seven to ten different times where it is recorded Jesus giving thanks. And of all those times, it really boils down to four events. But it's interesting, how does the one who created everything give thanks? What, what stirs up thankfulness in his heart? So these are the four different situations that make the Son of God, the creator of all things, the one in whom everything was made, through him and for him, the one who holds all things together. These four moments stir up thankfulness in his heart. And the four are this. It's the, his revelation of who he is to the simple and the weary. Secondly, it's his distribution to the hungry and the desperate. Thirdly, it's his resurrection to the dead and to those who believe. And fourthly, it's his invitation to the table and a new covenant. So I want to walk through these four different moments briefly where the Bible records Jesus being thankful. But I want to point out what I believe two reasons why I think Jesus gives thanks. Number one is that every time Jesus gives thanks, it reveals a part of who God is. It reveals an element of his nature. And then the second one is that I think when Jesus is thankful, he's giving us an example to follow. But as we look at these four different scenarios, I want you to pay attention to those two things. What does Jesus' thankfulness reveal about God's nature? And secondly, how does this set a precedent for us to be thankful as his followers? So the first one comes from Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want you to pay attention here what stirs thankfulness within the heart of Jesus when he says, I thank you, Father. And he says, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, it was what you were pleased to do. 
What we see here in this passage is Jesus reversing this spiritual elitism that it's only the learned, it's only the educated that have access to the things of God. And what he's saying is, I give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, that it's actually in the children, it's in the simple that you reveal who you are. And then he goes on to start saying, says, come to me if you're weary and your burden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I, I am lowly and gentle in heart. And what we see at the end of Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus begins to thank the Father that there is this upside down reality, this upside down kingdom that where the world says it's only the, the strong, the intelligent, the beautiful, the elite that have access to the things that are good and beautiful. In God's kingdom, it's the children, it's the weary it's the lowly, it's the burdened, that God in his pleasure has revealed himself to. And this is incredible news. It's incredible news for those of us who feel like we're new to faith, those of us who continue to stumble, those of us who don't feel like the smartest person in the room, that Jesus not only has revealed himself, but that he was pleased to do it. So much so that it literally stirs up a, a confession of thanks, which is the actual Greek word. He's confessing thanks. It's like bursting out of him for this thing. And um, as I've been thinking about this passage, I've been thinking a lot about my kids. I've, I've been thinking about the theology that I learned through my children. Um, as someone who loves scripture, I love learning about God. I love learning new things about God. I love telling you about the new things that I've learned about God and about scripture. But oftentimes, I have to be reminded that it's in the simplicity, the purity, the innocence of my children that have such a strong capacity to reveal who God is and in his nature, so much so that Jesus would say, this stirs up thankfulness in my heart. The second one is that we see Jesus give thanks when he feeds the 4,000 and the 5,000. Let me read you one of the scenarios. In Mark chapter 8, verse 2 says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because of some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus replied, seven. They replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and, and had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Now, what you'll notice is every gospel writer, when they record the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, make it a point that Jesus begins this miracle with thanksgiving. He thanks his Father. He takes this small amount with this great need, and it seems to be that the gospel writers are wanting to correlate that the, the abundance and the generosity that is available through God somehow is connected to the thankfulness that is released from the mouth of Jesus. And so as we look at this story, I, again, I find, I find myself, my, my curiosity peaked of like, wow, Lord, it was, you weren't just thanking God for kind of the upside down kingdom and the children and the weary who are welcomed in. You're, you're thanking God when there's not, enough, there's not enough to go around. You're thanking God for the little that was given to you, knowing that God always has more than enough. The third time we see that Jesus 
um, verbally give thanks is when his friend Lazarus has passed away. And by the time he shows up, he's been dead for four days. In John eleven forty one, it says, so they, and Jesus calls, is about to resurrect him, says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So there's something now about how Jesus thanks his father in terms of him wanting to let everyone else know his, that his father hears him. His father hears them, that there is an, an attribute of who God is that is revealing the very nature of him inclining his ears to the prayers. Jesus, I know you already hear me, Father, but I'm going to pray this out loud. And what's his prayer? It's thankfulness. I thank you, God, that you hear me. I thank you, God, that you hear me. You care. You're a God who, who resurrects. You're a God who takes things and turns them around. And then the last time that, that we see the gospel writers record Jesus being thankful is at the Last Supper. I'll read you Luke's account. It says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my, my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is the last time we have Jesus, we have record of Jesus giving thanks. And it's at this table where he's surrounded by faithful disciples, uh, betrayers, deceivers. And all around this, he takes the cup and he takes the bread and he thanks the Father for it because of what it represents. He's representing the start of something brand new, a new covenant that is being established, a covenant meaning a new terms of relationship, meaning that what I am doing now can never be undone. My promise to you through my sacrifice on the cross is extended forever. And so I wanted to just take a moment to point out that in these four different scenarios, we see Jesus stirred towards a verbal thankfulness. It's, it's the reality that it's the children and the weary that get it. It was the scenario where there were desperate, hungry people that needed to be fed. It was the scenario where his friend had been dead for four days. And it was the scenario where he's about to go to the cross. That all four of these scenarios shock the listener as times of, of, of inappropriate times to be giving thanks. Yet in those moments of unexpected thankfulness shows, shows up God's unexpected power and presence to bring sustenance, to invite people in, to raise the dead, and to start a new covenant. There's something powerful about the practice of thankfulness that Jesus shows us. So what does this mean for us? What, is it, what does it mean for us to be a people who don't just react thankfully when our circumstances are good, but that continually to lean in to a rhythm of gratitude and thankfulness? So I want, I want to point out three specific times the New Testament says is appropriate for us to be thankful people. And these are the three. Number one, in everything, meaning we're always called to be thankful. Secondly, even in worry and anxiety. 
in uncertainty, we're called to be thankful. And lastly, and I think most importantly for me personally, is it's, it's, it's in the beholding of Jesus, the beholding of the presence of God that must stir us towards gratitude. Um, I got to be honest, like leading up to this sermon, knowing of the past couple weeks I had, I was, I was curious how I'd feel about giving a sermon on thankfulness when I've been walking through kind of some of my own interpersonal struggles, as I've been walking through um, just some practical ones, like a flood in our house and living out of a suitcase and, and trying to sort through this. There's so much this stuff going on. I'm like, I wonder how I'm going to feel preaching about thankfulness. But here's, here's what I found out, is that this season has made me look intently into who Jesus is. And now, being in the middle of this season, I have found that there's no other thing I'd rather be talking about than being a person and being a part of a people who are beholding who Christ is. And because of that, we live in thankfulness. We live in gratitude. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot says, For one who has made Thanksgiving the habit of his life, the morning prayer will be, Lord, what will you give me today to offer back to you? So let's work through these three different scriptural moments of when we are thankful. We talked about when Jesus is thankful. When are we supposed to be thankful? Number one, in everything, when we notice the small and the ordinary. Secondly, in worry and anxiety, when we notice the eternal and the present. And thirdly, when we behold Jesus. So a quick word on each. Number one, we are called in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 to give thanks in everything. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life, for you in Christ Jesus. Meaning that the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Thessalonica, is encouraging them that the will of God for their life, which we often attribute to some sort of individualized plan, is that the will of God for our life is to rejoice, to live in joy, to never stop praying, and to give thanks in all circumstances. It's to be the mark of who we naturally are and how we're bent and how we're oriented. The poet Edgar Guest once wrote, acquire the grateful habit. Learn to see how blessed you are, how much there is to gladden life and how little life to mar. So just some practical things. Uh, don't wait for Thursday to give thanks. Give thanks on Monday, on Tuesday. Give thanks in the ordinary. Find yourself noticing the small and beautiful gifts God has put around you. Remember what Bonhoeffer said, is that once we realize that we receive far more than we ever give, is when we're unlocked the ability to be a people who continue to give thanks. Secondly, in another letter, the Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, calls us to, to give thanks even when circumstances are, are, are saying the opposite. Uh, keep in mind, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians while he was in jail. And he ends this letter with these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, which is key. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a peculiar um, command. He says, do not be anxious about anything, which I think is, is maybe one of the verses in the Bible I wrestle with the most because I see Paul wrestle with things being anxious. I see Jesus wrestle with things being anxious. Yet it seems to be this thing that there is something as an undercurrent available for us no matter what is going on in your life because of what he's doing. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, these are honest prayers. And then he says this, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I, and I love that juxtaposition there. That he talks about, we can approach God with thankfulness always, that in some ways it is this antidote to the worry and the anxiety that so easily creeps up in my life. And again, for me, this verse, this is not a hypothetical situation. This is very, very real. Anne Graham Law says it well. She says, the key to thankfulness is not to view God through the lens of our circumstances, but to view our circumstances through the lens of a loving God. I'm going to say that again. The key to thankfulness is not to view God through the lens of our circumstances, which is so easy for us to do, but to view our circumstances through the lens of a loving God. The past few weeks for me, thankfulness has been a discipline. It's been showing up in the midst of anxiety and worry in my own body and showing up saying, Lord, I'm going to thank you. And what I found is that when I'm actively and, and verbally thanking God, something is happening in my physiology, in my spirituality. But I think it's important for us to also realize that that being someone who's always giving thanks, someone who's giving thanks anxiety, it is not an invitation to suppress what's going on. And you'll notice here, he says that in everything by prayer and petition, meaning that there are things you're bringing before God that are not right, you're petitioning him for. And I believe that the sister of gratitude is lament. That the other side of the coin of thanksgiving is this this ancient spiritual discipline for the Judeo-Christians called lament that oftentimes gets overlooked. But it is this, it's the petition part. It's honesty. It's showing up honestly before the Lord. I just want to read you one quote, um, quote from Pete Gregg in his, his book, God on Mute. He says, lamenting is more than a technique for venting emotion. It is one of the fruits of a deepening spiritual life that has learned to stand naked before God without shame or pretense. In fact, long before Gethsemane, Jesus himself pronounced that those who mourn are blessed. Implicit in this statement, notes Walter Brueggemann, is that those who do not mourn will not be comforted, and those who do not face the endings will not receive the beginnings. Honest lament can express a vibrant faith, one that has learned to embrace life's hardship as well as its joys and lived everything, everything to the Father in prayer. As the author Richard Foster says of the Lament Psalms, They give us permission to shake our fists at God one moment and break into doxology the next. You see, I know there are people watching this that don't want to hear a sermon on Thanksgiving because of the amount of loss, the amount of worry, um, the amount of pain you're walking through right now. And I just want to let you know 
that you do not have to choose between lament and thanksgiving. You can welcome and embrace both. You can be honest and bring your petition before the Lord and equally say, Lord, thank you that for the things I do not understand and for the things I do not feel that you are faithful even when I'm faithless, that you have never left me or forsaken me. Which leads to our last point. And the the one that I find most comfort in is that if we are to be a people of thanksgiving, then we have to behold Jesus. Listen, there's so much pop psychology out there that wants to sell you on the benefits of gratitude. And I believe all of it's real. I mean, that we were made to be thankful people. And that's partly because we were designed by God to be worshipers. But please do not belittle gratitude to a quick fix to the chemicals and the hormones in your body or to the change of your psychology. Gratitude is the proper vehicle of what happens when we behold the person of Jesus. The last passage I want to leave you, the last narrative I want to leave you with is out of Luke 17. It's a familiar story which says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Were, are, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You see, nine were cleansed, but one was made well. The Greek word sozo, to, or to be made whole. And there's a lot going on in the story, but the thing I wanted to point at is that Jesus' command to these ten were, Go show yourself to the priest. And at their obedience, says, as they went, meaning they hadn't even arrived yet, they were cleansed. The leprosy was gone. The proper Jewish response was to do what Jesus said. Go show yourself to the priest. They would have had them wash. And after a, after a cleansing ceremony, they would be brought back into society. But this one individual, Samaritan, didn't have that same kind of priestly understanding And so when he realized he was cleansed, it seems to me that the only thing that made sense to him was to go back to Jesus because he identified Jesus to be the mediator, the priest. Jesus is where he needed to go. And he came back with thankfulness and Jesus looks at him and says, where are the others? Meaning his his hope was that all of them were to realize that he is the high priest who declares them clean. He is the one who washes their sin and sickness away. He is the source of all. But this one Samaritan comes back, throws himself at his feet, praising God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have been made whole. You've been made whole. You understand. And then this is the thing. It's, it's, it is 
It is a fear in my heart that we can be a people who just take some notes like, I want to be a more grateful person. I want to have a grateful journey journal. But listen, if you don't behold Jesus, if you don't recognize that he's the one who not only cleanses you, the one who, who gives you things, but he's the one you go back to as the giver of life, the one who makes you whole. It is the one who stirs up something more in you than just a good attitude. Tim Keller says, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel, but thanksgiving is what you do. There's something about us that we have to behold who Jesus is and not just feel a good feeling. We must proclaim and profess our thanks to who he is. And as someone who's walking in the midst of my own trials, and I know that everyone has their own battle they're in, I have felt personally stirred by the Holy Spirit to behold Jesus again. And as I behold him, that thanksgiving and gratitude would not only stir at an emotional level, but it would turn into a proclamation with my words and with my life. A.W. Tozer says that gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God. And it is one of the poor, and it's one that the poorest of us can make. And be not poor, but richer for having made it. So this is what I'd love to do as we conclude this sermon. I want to read the ending verse that Caitlin read last week in her sermon. It's the last chapter in the Psalms. It's the last Psalter in the Jewish hymn book. It's, the, it's how we conclude the worship book that Jesus would have read. And he says these words. And as I say them, I ask that the Holy Spirit would stir your affections for Jesus Christ, the one who makes you whole. Which is praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipes. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We give you thanks. Not only for the circumstances, Lord Jesus, but for who you are. We thank you not only for the gifts that you bring. We thank you that you are a gift giver. We thank you for the generosity that you've displayed through Jesus. And God, if everything has fallen apart in our life, and the only thing we have to be thankful for is the cross, we say thank you. We behold you. Jesus, and we rest in the goodness of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.